This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hi, this is Monique. And this is Sydney. And you're tuned into Monique and Sydney's Open, Open Relationship. Relationship. It's going to be the type of conversations that normally we're afraid to have out loud. Is it okay to be gay? Friends. How many of us have them? Mother and daughters. Is it always all bad? The mind's like a parachute. It's no good unless it's open. <laughs> That's what's up. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Monique and Sydney's Open Relationship. I am Monique. And I am Sydney. And today we're going to have a beautiful conversation, Daddy. What are we talking about? We're talking about who is going to get you and give you what you want and what is it that you want. Today we're going to do a little something different. We're going to have, we have a special guest with us by the name of Coot Blackson, uh, who wrote a wonderful book called You Are the One. And uh, before we get into it, we always share with you guys how we got on that subject. So, Mama, let them know. How did we get on the subject? Who is going to give you what you want? Who's going to give you what you want? And we were talking about this conversation about 4 o'clock in the morning in reference to who is going to give you what you want and what do you want. Because oftentimes, we don't even know what it is that we want. Like, we don't even know what it is that we're searching for, what it is that we're trying to grab. But we want somebody else to be responsible to figure out what it is that we want. What it is that we want. And in conjunction with, you know, asking that question and figuring out who and what it is that you want, the the real deal is asking yourself, how are you going to go about getting it? Who are you expecting to get it? Oftentimes we get the answer that God is going to give it to us. Uh, a higher being, and by many different names. And we just wanted to open that discussion up. Uh, a wonderful lady with CBS, Regina Fang, brought to our attention our guest who's going to be coming on, Brother Coot Blackson, who again wrote the book You Are the One. And we thought it would be apropos to have him on at that time. So at this moment, we'd like to introduce Brother Coot Blackson. Great to be here, Monique and Sidney. Thanks for having me. Thanks welcome, brother. Welcome. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I've been looking forward to it. Fantastic. So to get on in it, can you give the folks a little background about yourself as to how sure. you got into the uh, the business of writing books that, you know, pretty much are inspirational and to a degree teaching self-empowerment? Sure, yeah. I was born in Ghana, West Africa. My father's from Ghana. My mother's from Japan. I grew up in London. And my first memories, you know, I grew up in London from around age three. And my first memories were literally two things. I always felt a deep calling to serve humanity and a deep, deep burning desire in myself from around age five to make a difference in people's lives. But one thing that really impacted me was I remember my, one of my first memories around age five, age six, age seven in that zone, being a chubby kid lost in the crowd. 
and they're seeing a crippled woman crawling on the floor, and she literally picked up the sand that this man walked on, wiped it on her face, stood up, and, you know, you could say it was healed, and that was a miracle. So week after week, I grew up seeing blind people see, and people coming with crutches and throw away the crutches and leave walking, and, and people standing up have wheelchairs. So this man whose hand she picked up was my father, and he built 300 churches in Ghana, West Africa, a huge church in London. So from a very young age, I actually started to uh, speak in my father's churches. Age 14, I was ordained as a minister, given me mandate and designated the successor to his, you know, empire, you could say, his, his organization. But I knew... Uh, that that wasn't my destiny. So from a very young age, I was always very curious, and I started to ask my... I I read my first self-help book when I was age eight, you know, in terms of manifestation and creative visualization by a woman called Shakti Gawain, and that blew my mind. So I started to ask myself the questions, you know, who am I and why are we here and what's the purpose of life and why do some people who have everything seem to be, some some of them unhappy, and why do some people who have even nothing seem to be fulfilled? So I knew that when I was ordained as a minister at 14 that that wasn't my path, that wasn't my destiny, that wasn't my vision for my life. I knew the truth in my heart that that wasn't, uh, that, that wasn't what I was here to do, but I was afraid. Uh, I was afraid to tell my father the truth, so you could say he had a vision for my life. I went along with his vision for my life, like many of us do, and I didn't tell him or myself the truth. And I think many times we stay stuck because we lie to ourselves, we rationalize, we settle, we BS ourselves, and we pretend, uh, and we disconnect from what we really feel, and I think that's what often keeps us stuck. So, um about four years to muster up the courage, but meanwhile, I was studying and meditating and had spiritual experiences. So when I was 18, I finally was willing to tell myself the truth, mustered up the courage to let my father know that I would not be taking over his, his spiritual organization. Uh, and I was afraid, and I think some of the, some, sometimes we're afraid of telling the truth to ourselves in our lives. Maybe the truth is, you know, hey, I'm in a relationship that isn't working or on the marriage that isn't working, but I'm afraid of telling the truth because of the consequences, or I'm in a job that isn't really in alignment with my integrity or my soul, and, and I'm afraid of really being honest about that because how will I survive? Uh, so we have all these fears, and my fear was if I told my father the truth and follow my heart, follow my truth, follow uh, the depth of what I already knew inside, then I would be outcast, I'd be abandoned, I wouldn't be loved, uh, I would rock the boat, and, and because I didn't want to do any of that, I didn't want to lose his love or anyone else's love because I compromised myself. So after about four years, I finally uh, mustered up the courage, told him the truth, because I could see that if I, was, if I followed his destiny and vision for my life, I might be successful by his or anyone else's standards, but if I didn't have myself, if I didn't have my own integrity, my, my, my own truth, then I really have nothing. It doesn't matter what I have in the world. So I uh, left everything behind, uh, came to the U.S. Now, look, b- 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 before you go forward, when you share yes. that with him, just so the, the listeners uh, yes. get a better understanding, what was the response that you uh, received? Oh, my God. Uh, it was, you know... My fear was obviously he would never speak to me again and he would scream and rant and rave and, you know, took everything I had to, to, to share with him that I'm not taking over your, 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 your organization. I felt like I was betraying him. And let me tell you, I was absolutely terrified. Sometimes we think we have to overcome fear, not have fear in order to, to do what we know we need to do. Uh, when I shared it with him, honestly, he said nothing. He didn't even respond. All he said was, are you sure? And trembling, I said, yes, I'm sure. And he asked me one more time, like just to double check. 
uh, and it was like a test. And I said, yes, I'm sure. And then I walked out. We didn't speak, just to give you an example, we didn't speak for two years. That was it. That was like, we didn't really, we barely said hello. And uh, I was just in this place where I just prayed to God one day and said, God, you gave me this vision. You know, I feel this vision to inspire people, to touch lives, to write books, and, and to inspire people and to speak, you know. And, and, and so what do I do now? And I believe that when we follow our hearts, when we follow our truths, the universe always rises to support us, and the dreams and the visions that we have are, are, have actually chosen us because we are the, the perfect people based on our life experience to fulfill those dreams and visions. But I didn't know how I would come to the U.S. I didn't know how my dream would happen. And, and one day, uh, someone handed me a magazine called The Economist. I felt, you could say, the hand of grace in that moment, and I was just... Flipping through this magazine, it said the American government is giving away 55,000 green cards in the green card lottery. And I ended up winning a green card, came to the U.S. with uh, $1,000, two suitcases, one suitcase full of books, one suitcase full of uh, personal growth uh, tapes and, and books, and the other suitcase full of clothes. And I uh, just literally followed the dream. Wow, but Donald Trump would be happy. I was willing to, to tell the <laughs> truth, you know, willing, willing to tell the truth. Donald Trump would be happy that you did it the right way. Let me ask you something. I'm doing it the wrong way, but I'm glad it, I'm glad it didn't turn out that way. Let's, 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 let's be let me ask you this, cute, because the, the, the title of the book is You Are the One. And yes. when you did have to go to your dad, who I'm assuming is a very religious man because he owns yes. you know, the churches and has a huge following, when you did have to go to your dad to say, I won't be taking over. Um, your congregations, were you saying, I won't be taking over what you believe in? Like, what was it that made you tell your dad, I won't be taking over what you believe in, but I'm going to go to this journey of, it sounds like it's still motivational, inspirational, but it's not so much based in religion, if I'm understanding you correctly. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll be honest. I, I was blessed because my father was actually a very spiritual man. He was meditating, he was, you know, they aligned on his bookshelves with all the mystical, spiritual texts. So he wasn't, like, dogmatic in, 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 his, in his beliefs. But for me, honestly, it wasn't even a religious thing or a spiritual thing. It was just, I felt a different calling for my life. I felt a different expression with which the universe was seeking to express through me. I knew, I knew when he said and announced that literally hundreds of thousands of people, my son is taking over, I knew the truth in my heart. And I think many times, many of us were in situations where we're denying the people, where we're denying the truth. And, and, and I think people often ask me, what, what's, what's the first step to really tra- transform one's life, shift one's life? We have to be willing to tell the truth to ourselves and, and give up the lies that we have weaved in order to to keep the status quo in order to in order to stay in our comfort zone and and I think that's one of the keys. So I, I started asking myself the questions without even being consciously aware, but looking back, some of the questions I started asking myself would invite everyone to ask themselves too as an inquiry. And the inquiry is simply where am I lying to myself? Where am I really lying to myself? What am I pretending to not know? Because sometimes what keeps us stuck is a sneaky 
ego mechanism where we play this game of, of confusion. It's the game of I don't know. Well, I'm not really sure if this relationship is right for me. I'm not really sure what my life purpose is. I'm not really, and deep down, we really do know, but we're afraid to own it because to own it requires uh, courage. To own it requires giving up blame. To own it requires radical responsibility. So, you know, what am I pretending to not know? What is the cost? or telling this lie to myself, what is the payoff as to what am I getting out of lying, lying about what I really, really, really feel inside? But also, two last things is looking at what is my fear? I think if we're willing, this is what I have to do, if we're willing to face the fear, what am I afraid will happen to my life if I tell the truth? The mind often makes up such a, a, a negative future fantasy about, oh, hell is going to break, lo- break loose. But I, fa- I found that often... The worst-case scenario that we paint in our minds often doesn't happen 80% of the time. And so if we are willing to face our greatest fear of what will happen if we're honest, if we're transparent, if we, if we really go for our truth, if we can make peace with the worst case, then we actually free ourselves from that. And, it, and so rather than being held hostage by our fear, and the last thing is looking at the possibility, what amazing thing might happen if I tell the truth? So these are some questions I had to ask myself as I face my father. And, and my consequence, my fear was, I'm afraid I will lose my relationship with my father. And I literally had to make peace with that. I had to make peace with nothing was worth compromising my truth, my soul, because if I don't have myself, I don't really have a real, real authentic relationship with him. If I'm having to be someone else in order for him to love me, if I'm having to put on, on a lie, a mask in order for him to love me, we don't have a real relationship anyway. That's not success. So that's, that's something I have to face. And, but it was challenging. You know, it was really, it wasn't easy. Sometimes we have this idea that if we follow our purpose, and hey, everything's easy. The universe just unfolds. And I think sometimes when you find your purpose and you follow your purpose, life life throws more challenges at you because mm. you know life has to actually prepare you. We have to become prepared as a person, as a human being. Our dreams are evolutionary, and our dreams and our visions and our purpose take us on an evolutionary process of having to become the person, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, who's able to to be of service and fulfill the dream that we have in our heart. So it was it was it threw me into a series of tests and challenges. But uh, but what I found is our dreams choose us and I believe is is our dreams and our visions don't actually belong to us, they belong to the universe. And we are simply the vessels. We are the vessels for which the universe seeks to manifest those dreams and visions. So I think so long as we can get ourselves out the way, show up, say yes, do our part that's when I think magic happened. Absolutely. Now, it's interesting in you sharing your story regarding your father and how you Mm -hmm. didn't speak for two years because culturally to be asked, are you sure, and then you say (laughs) yes, and then are you sure again, in America is not going to result potentially in two years of not speaking. It's typically... Mm -hmm what the hell are you doing? And it's more dialogue that goes along to it. It was seemed to be a civil disconnect, if you will. Was it a situation where due to what was not said or the limited words, was it a level of uncomfortability that made you not question, are you not going to say more, that led to you not speaking for two years? Does that make sense? I mean, because just to to say that and then not speak for two years is like it wasn't something that was silently 
uh, exchange a, between... Def- definitely a silent... Uh, my father was letting me know that he was not happy with me, and he felt betrayed. And that was his way of saying... That was his way of disapproving. And to be honest, it, I, 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 I couldn't... I didn't know if I was strong enough to actually have a dialogue and say, what do you mean? What's going on? Because I, you know, I, I, felt, I, didn't want, I felt like I was betraying him. I felt like I was breaking his heart. So for me, the silence was, okay, at least we, if we don't have to talk about it, then I, can, then I can just keep going before I change my mind, you know? And uh, so that's really why, simply why we didn't speak about it. But, uh, but it threw me, honestly, it threw me into a, 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 a I'm not going to say a depression, but a deep soul searching because I had nothing. I had no family support. We had no money growing up in the church. The only support I had was, you know, my mother, my good old mother, who who just simply loved me unconditionally. Said, "I support you. Follow your dream. Follow your destiny." And what and what I found was there are no shortage of people in our lives who who think they know what's best for us. There's no shortage of people in our lives who who, mm-hmm. who want to impose their unresolved dreams and desires onto us. There's no shortage of our life who people in our lives who want to tell us what we can do, what we can't do, and they haven't done what we have the vision for ourselves. So I, I found that that ultimately you, each of us, we have all been given the vision, the dream, whatever it is, a book, a script, a business. We've been, we've been given that vision for a reason and not the other person. So I think we have to trust that voice, trust that vision. And so I came to the U.S. And let me tell you, it was, it was difficult to tell. It was, it, was, it was challenging. It was difficult. I had no money. I was living in, a, in a, like a tiny $250 a month square, five, 600 square foot apartment, dragged a, uh, an old mattress that someone threw out off the street. I was stealing bread, stealing bread from the supermarket, you know. But I felt free. I felt a freedom that I wasn't, you know, I had nothing, but I had myself. I had my soul. I had my own integrity, and that's something you can't buy. And I think underneath it all, there was a peace. There was a peace in my heart. But one shift that I had to make that really made the difference is there was a very, there was a period of time where I felt like I was listening to my heart. I was following God's guidance, my soul's guidance, and things weren't working in my life. Things weren't going. I was struggling, let's put it that way. And and one day I was mad at the world. I was mad at my father. I was mad at God because I felt like if I'm following my soul, then God should give me everything I want. Why is it not happening the way I, I, the way I envisioned it to happen? And, and I realized it was like an epiphany. You know, I realized literally one day as I was moaning, groaning, complaining, b- blaming, being a victim, I realized how entitled I was. And that's when I realized, wait a second, I'm waiting for someone to come save me. Like, and I, and I realized Oprah's not going to knock on my doorstep and do it for me and discover me. No one's going to knock on my door and give me a million dollars. No one's going to, you know, knock on my door and say, hey, you're 30 pounds overweight. I'm going to go to the gym and exercise for you. If, if, if I'm going to shift my life, what I had to give up that made all the difference was the sense that someone owes me something. I had to, I, I had to realize that no one owes me anything. My father, my mother, the government society, my friends, you know, the aliens, who no one owes me anything because ultimately I've been given so much already. And, and, and that shift of forced me to take a radical sense of responsibility and ownership for my life, which can be scary because once we cross over into that radical responsibility for my life, no one owes, owes me anything, and we tap into all the resources that we've already been given by the universe, then we can no longer blame anyone. We can no longer abdicate responsibility, and, and that's, for me, when a huge shift happens. 
Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. If y'all are listening right now, we are on the line with our guest, Cute Blackson, and he has a book out called You Are the One. With that title and for the people that are listening and the conversations that you have with people, how do you, and I don't know if the word is convince, but how mm. do you let someone know that they are enough? Because if I'm understanding the title correctly and you saying you are the one, like you're enough, you're good enough, how do you explain that to someone? When someone gets this book, what do you want them to walk away with after they read You Are the One? I want, you know, You Are the One. People say, what's You Are the One about? It's, it's all in the title, You Are the One. And for me, I looked around at myself. I looked around in our culture, and I saw so many people waiting. Waiting for what? Waiting for someone to come and save them. The white knight, the government, the parent, the teacher, the guru. Waiting for the celebrity, someone to do it for them. And I saw so many talented people who weren't pursuing their dreams. So many gifted people who weren't following through, myself included at the time, making excuses, waiting for some moment in the future, waiting for, for someone's permission, waiting, just waiting. So I asked everyone, listen, what are you waiting for? And so for me, uh, you know, the, the book is, is a bold invitation, a challenge for each person to realize, look, if you're waiting for anyone, stop. No one's coming. No one is coming because you, me and you, we're already here. The great ones, whether it's Jesus, whether it's Buddha, whether it's Bob Marley, whether it's Muhammad Ali, whether it's Bruce Lee, whether it's David Bowie, whether it's, you know, Martin Luther King, whether it's <laughs> Name Andy, all of them. <laughs> you, you know, let's name all of them. All these great ones, we often look at these great ones and go, oh, Jordan was amazing, Oprah was amazing, Elon Musk is amazing. That's great, but you know what? Each of us have to seed for that potential. They were born once. They were in diapers once. They pooped their pants once. They had fears once. But each of these amazing individuals simply made a choice. Greatness is not something that is just bestowed upon us by the heavens. Greatness is a moment-to-moment choice to transcend our fear, to transcend our limitations. So for me, this book is a reminder, a simple but bold and dynamic reminder to realize that they all showed us the, great, the greatness is inside of each, each and every one of us. And those, those great ones simply are showing us our own capacity, that we must own it for ourselves. But when we do, there's no going back, and we all have the power. And I believe that, you know, we live in a culture where we're being bombarded by media and social media and advertising. Advertising is constantly hypnotizing us and seducing us to, to you know, to, and distracting us from ourselves. We're still 500 channels and 5,000 social media channels and all these distractions that we end up disconnecting from who we really are. And there is a depth of power and a source, the same life force, the same power that birthed the creation, the same power that is, is, is spinning the sun, the stars, the moon, the same power that is, is breathing and living seven billion human beings is the same force that is actually inside of each and every one of us. So we have to realize rather than looking outside, if we take a moment and direct our attention from what's outside where we've been so distracted and, and go inside, and I feel as though we will find a source of power, that same power that Mandela tapped for 27 years, where even though they put him in a prison, he wasn't in a prison, he was a free man. His outer circumstance did not determine who he was. So one of the things I would invite each person to do, if you really want to tap into this idea of you are the one and reclaim your power, reclaim yourself, is 
couple of things. Number one, I would invite each person to, at times, create space each day, space each week, space each month to, to have a digital detox, to unplug from external stimulus so that you can really, really, really listen, not to other people's voices, not to the news media's voices that play on our fears, but to actually listen to the, to, to the whispering, the truth, the knowing of your soul. There is a knowing inside of ourselves to truly transform our life. We have to be willing to tell the truth. To tell the truth, we have to be willing to hear the truth, listen to the truth. So if we're not listening, we can't listen to the truth and align our life and our actions based on that. And so I believe that each of us ultimately we're already whole and we're already complete. If you look at a child, a child will jump on the table. You know, it's not afraid. It's not going, well, you know, a little baby anyway, before it gets conditioned. It's not like it will sing and express itself. It will run up to you. It doesn't matter if you're black, white, green, orange, an alien, you know, an anim- a, 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 a chihuahua, an Alsatian. It's just full of love. It's full of self-expression. It will jump on the table and sing. It doesn't care. It, 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 am I fat? What do you think of me? I'm not Celine Dion or Adele or, or Tony Braxton. It's just singing and expressing the divine essence. It, it's in touch with its innocence. But what happens is we lose touch with this innocence. We lose touch with this light. We lose touch with our own radiant magnificence because we need our parents who are just doing the best that they can do. And they're doing the best based on their conditioning and their grandparents and their, and which is, and their programming, which has been passed down. So two things happen that, that actually disconnect us from our power. Number one, as a way, as children, as a way to deal with our environment and, and, and to ultimately avoid the pain of our experiences. Maybe we, maybe we face abuse, pain, trauma, abandonment, neglect. Whatever we face, we all have our story. We learn to, we learn to disconnect mm-hmm. from the pain of our experience as a way to avoid pain, to survive. But we also learn to go out into the world and maybe in response to our parents, we learn the way to to develop a mask and a strategy and a character and develop a persona, a way of being in terms of who do I need to be in order for my dad to love me? Who do I need to be in order for my mother to love me? Who do I need to be in order to fit in, to be loved, to be validated, to be approved? So we develop this character and we hold tightly, we, we, we identify so much with this way of being as a way to get certain needs met, ultimately to avoid pain, to be loved, it's survival, you know? And then we call this creation, this, this, this persona, we develop a mask, basically. We call this mask that we've learned to develop to survive, to get these needs met, we call this me. So really what I like to ask people is, is who you are who you really are, or is it simply who you've been conditioned to be? Because the degree to which you are conditioned is the degree to which you don't have the free choice to be open, to be loving, to be fully who you are. And the degree to which we're conditioned is simply running the past. We're running the conditioning of our past programming in our current lives. Let me ask you this, Poot. How can they go about getting your book? Yes, yeah. The way people can about getting the book, which really helps people uncondition themselves, is uh, they can go to, number one, they can go to Amazon to dive deeper into what I'm sharing, or they can go to www.youaretheonebook.com and purchase the book there. That will take them to Amazon, and they will also get some amazing free videos and trainings once they, uh, once they sign up on that website as well. Let me ask you, what, what was it that allowed you after the two years, what dynamic mm. took place that allowed you and your dad to come back together and have that conversation just to round it up? Yeah, you know, I came to the U.S. I was mad as hell. I was angry. 
uh, felt abandoned. And two things. Uh, number one, it was this realization that no one owes me anything. My father owes me nothing. God owes me nothing. When I realized my father owes me nothing, I, I tapped into a profound gratitude that in my, my father has already given me so much. He, just the fact he gave me life. That alone is, is I, I should be in such a reverence and honor for that. And when I tapped into just that gift of life, I just felt such a deep appreciation. But then I had to go through, honestly, I had to go through a process of my own uh, willingness to face my anger, feel my anger, and my willingness to peel those layers away and forgive my father, realizing, look, my father wasn't the perfect man. He was a great man, but he wasn't the perfect father, at least what I thought I needed on, on one level. And I had to go about the process of forgiving him and realizing, you know what? He just did the best he knew how to do based on his culture, his programming, his, you know, his level of consciousness. And, uh, and so I had to forgive him and I had to give up. This is what I'll say shifted. I had to give up my attachment to being right. And I had to ask myself the question, do I want to be right or do I want to be free? And when I realized, yeah, I might be right that my father didn't give me these things. I might be right, but it's certainly not making me happy, and it's certainly not bringing us closer, and it's just keeping me stuck. When I gave that, when I gave up my addiction to being right, and I just realized, you know what? It doesn't matter who my father is. I still love him. I may not have the relationship I want. He may never be the perfect father, but that doesn't mean I, I love him. I love, I love his soul. I love his being. I just love him. And that freed me up, and, and, I, and I forgave him. Not for him. I forgave him to actually set myself free from a cycle of suffering. And once that happened, the energy, I, I kid you not, the energy shifted. A week later, he called me up out of the blue and said, son, I think it's, I just feel like it's time that we talk. And it was, it was like a miracle, you know, as I, as I freed myself and I freed him up, something shifted between us. And that was the beginning of the healing of of a relationship between us. And it's interesting that you you speak of um, a a miracle because oftentimes we, we, while you're speaking, we're seeing folks on Periscope and one of the comments was all we need to do is repent and things of Mm -hmm. that nature. And I posed the question, um, what is it that you can't associate with uh, energy that God can do and vice versa. And it's almost a thing of uh, two things to what you were speaking about. Um, it's kind of like you thinking about a friend that you haven't spoken to in years. And yes. you somehow get them to call you through that thought and through that energy right. that you're sending out. And I don't want to say that it's not God, but I believe humbly that God is energy. Um, mm. that's, that's in us. And potentially when you were speaking in reference to what it was and all the things that your father did not give you, is it possible that your father gave you everything that you needed in order yes. to have the thoughts and reflections that you had to extract the best you out of you? Mm. Mm. I, I absolutely, you know, on one level, yeah, I wish I had more. Well, on another level, if anything, what I realized too was if anything were different, he wouldn't. I, I would not have gone on the journey. I would have gone on. I would not have uh, seeked 
you know, truth in the way that I did to heal myself, to transform. And as a result, I would not be the person who I am today who wrote the book, You Are the One. So ultimately, on a whole other level, on a soul level, if we can say that, you know, on a soul level, on an energetic level, he was the perfect father for my own evolution and what I was born to do in this lifetime. He was my perfect teacher, my perfect teacher for my soul and my soul's evolution in this lifetime. So uh, on one level, he was perfect and, and a huge, huge blessing. So, you know, I think regardless of if we have the father that we want, the mother that we want, I think for our souls, we, we, we have the perfect parents for our soul's evolution. And I think uh, mm-hmm. if we can honor them and bless them, we, we're actually setting ourselves free. My man, listen, we greatly appreciate you coming in and blessing us with this knowledge. And again, would you tell the folks how they can go about getting you all the one? Absolutely. Uh, the folks can definitely go direct to Amazon uh, and just punch in Pete Blackson, you are the one book. You'll find it there. But you can also go to www.youaretheonebook.com. That will take you to Amazon, and, and if you purchase the book and, and just punch in your receipt there, you're going to get a whole bunch of free gifts and training videos from me, and I look forward to connecting with everyone. And thank you, Monique and Sydney, for your generosity in having me on the show today. Thank you so much, Coop. We appreciate you, brother. We appreciate it. God thank you, you, sir. Take care. Thank take you. Care. You know, you are the one. What an amazing title. Because it's letting you know, as that brother was saying, and as we've said, stop going on the outside looking for it. You've got it. And a selfless title because, you know, (laughs) he could have wrote, I'm the king and let me tell you about how you can do what you do. No, now. But instead, it's you are the one. And oftentimes, we, you know, there are folks that will stand before you and will speak as if they are your liaison to... Prosperity. Talk about it. And if you deal with them and you see them, they will guide you to the path of righteousness. And all along, you are the one that is going to have to do the work. You are the one, even in following someone, you are the one that who is, who's going to have to take the steps to follow. And oftentimes, as they say, in order for you to be a great leader, you had to be a great follower of something, of some information. Oftentimes, we hear kids say, we hate school. We hate school. We don't, we, college, <laughs> I don't know about that. You know, that's, but it's like, then you ask them what they're interested in and the things that they're interested in from music to creating games to cooking. These things take knowledge. These things Take an effort where you're going to have to learn and you are the one who is going to have to get this information so you can live out your 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 dreams. But we spoke about in that segueing into and what it is, what is it that you want? Because we we spoke about, though. We know what it is that we want, some of us. Did we have everything that we need? Mm. And do we have everything that we need? And how much of it do you want? How much do you want? You know, we we were having that. Okay, so about 4 o'clock in the morning, we'd be thinking we about 16, 17 years old, baby, and we, we want to get up and start the you party. Okay? I'd be like, you hang I, up. No, no, I won't hang up. I will not hang up first. When I'm on that road, baby, and I get back in from that club or that show, and I call my daddy up, we're going to talk. 
we're going to talk for about two and a half, three hours. And you're like, Mama, <laughs> you fall asleep. No, I'm not. No, right, because you done woke my ass up now. Now I'm up, okay? <laughs> you on the West Coast. I know. <laughs> but when we talked about it, and we were talking, and we were saying, what do you want? And then how much of it do you want? Because I, I'll, use, I'll use my example first, okay? I remember saying I wanted to be famous, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's what I wanted. I wanted to be famous. And then when I got to Hollywood and I became famous, well, I got what I asked for, but then I wanted more of it. And I wanted to be the famous of the famous. So everywhere they told me to go, everything they told me to do, I was right there. And what I was neglecting was my family. But I got fame, but it was like it just wasn't enough. It was like, well, how much of it do you need? And that's the question you start asking. What do you want? And then how much of it do you want? Do you want a career that will allow you to take care of your family and you're comfortable? Do you want something that will allow you to take care of generations to come, but you never spend time with that family? Mm -hmm. Like how much of it do you want? Oftentimes when you hear about moguls and and someone said to me one time, Monique, you, you trying to go to mogul status. No, I'm not. Because what does mogul mean? (laughs) You tell them. Tell them. Money obsessed girls, guys usually lonely. Come on, we got two G's in ours. That's how we spell it. That's how we spell it. We gotta get we gotta get the girls and the guys in there. But when you read those stories and they're out there for us to read, read the mogul stories. I'm not saying all of them, but the ones that I've read, 99 percent of them all have the same story. I wanted it all, but I lost everything. You know, so you ask yourself, what is it that I want? But then once I get it. When is it enough? And and for me, I take it back to because I keep hearing the the statement. I want to let's make America great again. And in all honesty, I'm trying to get the date exactly where America was great. Because to me, before America was called America was about the only time I could think about it being great. And the Native Americans may have referred to it as. Turtle Island, because that was at a time where they believed in get what you need, not just what you want. Though there may be a thousand buffalo that are on the plane, don't kill a thousand buffalo because we're only going to eat three. Mm -hmm. Let's kill the three. And that's what it is that we need. And it's as if this country that we live in doesn't understand that. Through no curse from being anything other than a human being that we have a desire of not considering what it is that we want in totality and we lose sight of what it is that we need for what it is that we want. And oftentimes what we want is an abundance, not realizing that if we have what we need, we're living in an abundance. And. As Brother uh, Cute was saying earlier. Brother Coot. Coot. Brother Coot. That's right. We've been so conditioned and we've been so brainwashed because every day we're seeing it 24 hours a day around the clock. More, more, more. Better, better, better. Best, best, best. And we're seeing it. And it has nothing to do with your family. It has nothing to do with love. It has everything to do with stuff. It has everything to do with how much more of this stuff can you get? How much more of this stuff can you get? 
and we're being so shoved with that down our throat, most of us are not taking out the time to say, when I get to the end, what will this stuff do for me? And everybody has the same story. Nobody gives a fuck when they get to the end about the car that's in their driveway. Nobody's talking about the 20,000 square foot home. Nobody's talking about the trips all around the world. What people are saying is, God damn, can you hold my hand while I'm taking the less, my last breaths out of here? So it is, what do you want? And when you look at how this country was founded, you, you've got to say to yourself, let's look at it. And it's not about black and white, despite the fact that they were white men who they call the founding fathers of this country. And they befriended the Native Americans who, if it was not for them, they would not have learned about democracy. You find that they came from a pyramidal type of system where there was a monarchy, where as the Native Americans looked at uh, life as circular, where everybody was joined in the circle and they had that democracy type of mindset where you had respect of the elders, not Mm -hmm. an elder that just spoke amongst all. So when you look at that and you say, these individuals showed them how to live in an environment that they would have surely died and then later on, you slayed these same people. You cast the, the Mexicans out, and now Donald Trump says, I want to build a wall against them. But this was their home before it was our home. When you look at the first five presidents were, that were ever elected, which you hear from the 1790s, electoral colleges came into play. And the first five, college, first five presidents, they weren't elected by the common man. They were all white men in that room who wrote the Constitution and the Declaration. They did not have white women in mind, much less people of color, but they didn't even have the common man in mind. So when you look at the fact that they didn't have the common man in mind because they didn't think they were smart enough, what's changed? And you say, what is it that they want? And they are these unseen forces that seem to want power when the average person is looking for equality even our white brothers and sisters the black ones and then we see us fighting against one another this is not specific in unto the the black community this is specific in unto the world because the unseen are not there for you to fight against they are there to be empowered over you so hence You are the one, and we are the ones that can make things correct, but we must start with us first. And get back our humanity. Because, and and so when we were in the closet talking about it, I said, you know, Daddy, I said, what do we do because we sit back as a people, and we know that things going on around the world is so inhumane. Like, to know that a pair of Nike sneakers costs $1.25 to make, but know that they're being sold for over $200. But then to know that the babies that's making those sneakers, they don't make enough money to even live, but we still go out and buy the sneakers. And then my daddy said, well, mama, name me one company that's not ganking. Name me one that's not ganking. So what do we do? And it almost feels like, 
as a people, we need to make some different decisions because we've gotten so into, yeah, I want it, but I want as much of it and it's mine and I don't have to share none of it. And you drive past a bus stop, but you'll see a family on a bus stop and you know shit ain't good. You can just look at the mama. You can look at the babies, but we'll keep driving. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. And and here's the thing. Let's be real. Sometimes you must keep driving because you are that individual, but it's when you can help. And we speak to that. Someone just put up a comment. The black race is so weak um, because we don't help one another out. And. There's truth to that, but the society that we live in is weak because there is a a lack of realization and a lack of empathy as to why people may not understand what's taking place around them because everything is geared to divert your attention away from what is really happening. So first, we need to begin with a level of empathy towards one another as to why we may not understand it. Again, I I use this example, and I've said it on multiple occasions. It's easier for individuals to believe that Jesus Christ is going to save you, and it is easier for someone to discount that extraterrestrials from other planets exist despite the video footage of UFOs leaving the earth, entering the earth all around. News footage, it's not just based upon what one man says, but a book, a book is carrying the beliefs of a nation and we're waiting for that individual to save us that we've never seen beyond that book. It's easy to say, are you crazy? How can you believe that? But if conditioning, you know, repetition brings on retention. And if repeatedly you've been told these things, how difficult is it for you not to believe it? For my own mother, who is a Christian to the core, Bible study, Sunday school, she out there visiting the folks and the sick, the whole nine. Before us, again, we... I said to the sky in front of my mother, in front of my aunt, in front of my children, to the sky, show my parents, show my mom, show my aunt the Lord what we see on a regular basis. And right before us, above us, appears what we would refer to as a UFO. And then it flies and zigzags off into the middle of the sky and disappears. When I see my mother jumping up and down, first of all, I didn't know what to do because I never saw her do that, okay? She's a good, good, clean girl. She don't be jumping all up and down She's acting. She's a Christian woman. And to see that and then the next day act as if it was a planet because the last time I checked, planets don't appear before you, then fly off, then disappear. And her own sister had to say, come on now, Pauline, don't do that. What it made me say is, it is far more easy to defend a book and all the things in a book that you have no definitive proof of and completely disregard what it is that you've seen. I'm just saying that And someone says, if we dismiss God, everything starts to fall apart. What I'm saying is, what is God? And it has many different meanings to many people, but 
we need to start focusing in on. If you believe in what you don't see, why not start believing in what it is that you are seeing? Oh. It's kind of what's our sister that has gone on to glory. I know why the cage bird sings. That's Maya. Maya Angelou. She says, if someone shows you who they are, believe, believe them. them. If you're seeing these things, believe them. And what we can believe about ourselves is if we put the effort in, the results will come. They may not come when you want them to come. Because somebody say, if you take one step, God will take two. The question I would ask, why would you ask that of that God when you are purely capable of doing that and someone who may not be purely capable of doing that in its entirety may need that assistance? So if we are able and God is real, as you say, what happens if you take two steps and then God takes two steps as opposed to saying we can work less and we're going to work God more because that's how you burn somebody out. That's why he ain't showed up for you to see him. I believe my secret suspicions is <laughs> that God come. The folks be talking about his converses. It was dirty. Look at what he got on. You believe he got that shit on? Did he comb his hair today? They're going to talk about his clothes. Right. They're going to talk about his sarong. But and these cats around here in $5,000 suits. $5,000 And Jesus suits. had on flip-flops. <laughs> but don't nobody want to talk about that. <laughs> don't nobody want to talk about he had on shit that you would get from the Goodwill. Don't nobody want to talk about that. <laughs> don't nobody want to talk about that. Don't nobody want to talk about he rode on a donkey. Don't nobody want to talk donkey? about that. Okay, that. well, that's Where's new shit. Donkey? Don't nobody. He rode on a donkey, baby. He said, bring me that donkey. Robin said he Come rode on, on a now. donkey. Okay. okay, that's what it is. Yes. Kick it. He rode on the donkey, so and when, he rode on the ass. That's what she he said. He rode on that ass. Well, listen, and I when, can't be mad at that. You I can't be mad at that. The brother's book, Cute Blackson's book, says you are the one. You are the one. And, again, when I start seeing people, we see people put comments like, just wait on the Lord, trust in God, listen. And then one sister wrote, uh, Denise Hawkins wrote, don't put no trust in man. So now you got to ask yourself, are you married? Because if so, what kind of marriage do you have? Because you've already said, I will put no trust in man. Do you have children? Well, here's the thing. If you're saying. Do you trust yourself? If you're saying don't put any trust in man and put all your trust in God, was it God that gave you the vision of Christianity being that Jesus was a Jew? Or was it man that told you that? Because the one that is telling you is not God, it is man. So you have to pick and choose who to trust based upon what it is that you see, based upon what it is that you believe. Because if you can't trust anyone, then that's saying you can't trust yourself. Mm. So at some point, trust is important, but what are you trusting? Are you going on faith solely? Because one who goes on faith solely can't look at someone crazily who looks at what it is that they see tangibly as going to be the difference maker as to the direction in which they go. So at the end of the day, whatever you believe in is what you believe in, but don't let what you believe in allow you to take away your ability to make it happen for yourself while you're waiting on something that you believe in. Well, someone just put, I won't trust me because I've been cheated by man, not God. 
Now, y'all, Daddy, help me understand. Because are you saying I don't trust me because I've been cheated on by man, but I just trust God. So are you taking all responsibility off of your ass for any choice or decision you make? Because you've already said, I don't trust me. Right. So I'm going entru- I'm I'm to trust. So if you don't trust you, how do you trust to know that it's God that's talking to you if you don't have any trust in you? So what is it that you're hearing or listening to if you don't even have enough? I don't know if it's self-love. I don't know what the word, but if you don't have enough to look at you and say, I'm okay with me. I'm going to trust my choices and decisions. And when you look at the society that we're in, hundreds of years of being told we should trust in our master that's here on earth as we trust in the master in the sky. Do you understand there is a reason for the hoot blacksons of the world, the Individuals who are speaking about self-empowerment because for a very long time, historically, we've been told that we needed others to rely on. And to some degree, there is truth because when you are in a minority, oftentimes there may be that Caucasian mouthpiece that is needed to sometimes awaken other Caucasians to what's transpiring, but not just Caucasians. They sometimes have to awaken up people of color. Because to sit there and I was going by in the channels and what's our girl's name? Um, she was on Oprah recently uh, and I was telling you about it. She was the activist. Um, I, oh, wow. What's Betty. her name? Um, what, it, it, it's slipping my mind. Um, She's an activist. Um, from Weinstein, Einstein. Um, what is her name? And I know it's going to come to me as soon as. It's over, but a white lady who sits there and she says, listen, and Oprah asked her, what is it? Uh, are you more religious or are you uh, more spiritual? She said more spiritual, and she asked, was there a difference between religious, uh, religion and spirituality? She says, absolutely. Religion is uh, political pie in the sky. She said, is any time you have a man in Jesus that was born in the Middle East, But in America, white men have him depicted as blonde hair with blue eyes. What does that tell you? And this is a white woman who you would have expected to, you know, if we're going to stereotype, she would have never said that. Mm -hmm. But it goes to show you that, again, as Titaleo says, at Titaleo says, if you look at certain words, you know, like Bible, is it a hidden secret? Because if you say it slow enough, someone would say, buy bull. Is that what we're buying? Because if we're waiting for someone else to to save one another or to save you, isn't it interesting that if you slow Jesus's name down and you said it phonetically, it would say, just us. And maybe that's the secret. We should be relying on just us as human beings and stop waiting for a higher being to sa- to save us because if that higher being created us, whatever is in that higher being, wouldn't it also be in us? We're talking about it, y'all. We are talking about it today on Monique and Sydney's Open Relationship. Who's going to give you what you want and what is it that you want? 
And when you do get it, how much of it do you want? At Oshindo J, reprogramming the African. Yes, ma'am. And through reprogramming the African, we can reprogram the world. Because we must reprogram ourselves to not be scared to say when the question is posed, they say, how do you get mad because somebody white and a policeman killed your children, your father, your brothers? How do you get mad when you kill each other more? And the question that's posed, it makes sense. And the answer would be because it doesn't matter who kills him. We should be up at arms. But then we have to ask ourselves, are we up in arms when Pookie killed Nene? Are we up at, are we up at arms when uh, Dre Dog killed Wiley? Okay. You see? Mm-hmm. Are we mad about that? So we have to say to ourselves, not only do all lives matter, not only do black lives matter, but they have to matter to us not just when someone from the outside is dealing with us. They have to matter to us when we're walking down the street and we ignore one another who are in need. They have mm-hmm. to matter to us when our children are going out late and we don't stop them and say, you can't go out this late because you might not come back again. They have to matter when your child decides they want to skip school or it's time to do homework. They have to matter. So it's not just about when someone from the outside, because what is not articulated is the negative energy just arises from historically, this is what's been done to us. We have been hurt by people who happen to be Caucasian and there is no uh, result for us that is positive. There's no, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It doesn't seem like it's fair uh, what ends up being the fate of the person who hurt us versus what was done to us. But on the flip side of that, we have to say that our, to ourselves, what are we doing to us? And that's been ignored throughout history because it's been so obvious as to what's been done to us. But now we really have to focus on what are we doing to ourselves and what can we do for ourselves and what can we do in this community? Because they're making people of color look like all of us are bad, but they're also making people that are white look like all of them are bad, too. So they're playing us against one another. They're making the Latins look like they don't know what they're doing. They're bad, too. But the reality is, why are there cameras everywhere? They're watching folks all the time. But we don't have an opportunity to look in at the meetings in NATO. We don't have the opportunity to see all that's being done. But what we do have a chance to see is our neighbors. So ask ourselves, what is it that we can do with our neighbors of all colors? Because the racist, when we start saying of all races, that's racism within there. That's where they're dividing you because they're making you think that it's a different race when we are human beings. And not just human beings, beings that we are here, that we exist. So at the end of the day, ask yourself, what do you need versus what do you want? And is what you want more of a priority than what you need? And is what you want, does it affect other people in a negative way 
or a positive way. Because, again, it it's disheartening to know how we as a people are getting over on one another and how are we sleeping at night knowing that my neighbor is not eating, knowing that my neighbor can't bathe. It's like we've we've gotten to such a place where I got all I need and I want all I want and I don't care who I stomp over or destroy to get it. That's when and that's why I believe we're in this position we're in because I'm going to share something with y'all. So last weekend, we were trying to get flights, right? And we had gotten down to the last minute and to fly Delta was going to be like $8,000 and to fly Southwest, it was going to be about $5,000, right? So... Southwest is really Greyhound in the sky. We all know it. You know, you bring your lunch, you bring your your things. It's a field trip. (laughs) But what was beautiful about it was when I got on that plane, there were some sisters. And they stopped. And it was like, Monique, I said, hey, baby. They was like, hey, girl. At first, their reaction was like, you on Southwest? Yeah, bitch, I am. Because will I pay $8,000 or will I pay $5,000? Which one makes better sense? Which one makes better sense? And did we get there? We got there. And the landing was, let me tell you something, baby. That Southwest pilot landed that goddamn plane like butter. There it is. So it made me say... Maybe, okay, and then the team looked at me like, no, we, we understood it this one time, <laughs> <bitch>. <laughs> <laughs> But it just makes you say, what do we really need? What do we really need? It's, and and it, makes, it makes you check yourself. It really does. It's like, what do we really need? Do we have everything we want? I mean, do we have everything we need? Then what is it that we really want? And it makes you stop paying $10,000 for a dress. It makes you stop paying $1,000 for a pair of shoes because it's like, this is a waste. And some people are saying, when the fuck did I ever pay $10,000 for a dress or $1,000 pair of shoes? That right there is a different type of comment. But it makes you question. It makes you question. Am I doing what I need? How many niggas you know? No, daddy, but what I'm saying $10, is... $10,000 for No, nigga, but it made me question me. Okay. It made me All niggas say that. That's what I'm saying, Okay, baby. okay, I'm I missed that. It made me I check me. It made you check right, you. Right, it made okay. me check me because okay. it's making you say, really? Like, really? It makes you start questioning, is this too much? Is it going too far? So when we say, what is it that you want? And when you get it, how much of it do you really need? How much do you really need, Mama? It's that time. It's that time, baby. Looking at it. Okay, well, we, we, we talked about it today. And we hope, again, you walk away with it and you consider something different. And like my daddy always say, take the best and leave the rest. And we want to thank our brother, Brother Coot Blackson, for coming on and dropping that knowledge today. And if y'all get a chance, go out there on Amazon. You are the one. Go get his book. And make sure y'all also go to Amazon.com and get the comedy special, Monique Something Different. Something different, because that's what it is, something different. Yes, it is.
Yes, daddy. And y'all make sure y'all tell a friend, tell a friend, and tell another friend to always go to play.it and tune into Monique and Sydney's open relationship. Take us on home. My name is Monique. And I am Sydney. And like my daddy always says, the mind is like a parachute. It is no good unless it's open. We love y'all. For free. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.